there's no point teaching somebody how your grandma did it if they can't do it that way uh, or if yeah. you know if they can't find a pestle and mortar to pound the yam welcome to third culture africans the lifestyle podcast for dreamers thinkers and doers we celebrate artistry, share stories from those brave enough to create something and succeed, listen to diverse perspectives on African success and those shifting the needle on culture. I'm Zezo Sal, your host. On this week's episode of Third Culture Africans, my guest is Lerato Uma Shayla. She is a foodpreneur who has found a way of making food a universal language. She has a passion for feeding people and normalizing African cuisine in the global world. She's a student of food and absolutely conveys an infectious personality and a flair for all the things that she does. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did sitting with Lorato. Well, thank you, Lorato, for joining us on this week's episode of Third Culture Africans. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's lovely to be here virtually. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? COVID-19 is a very interesting time. And we'll talk about ways that, you know, you're bridging the gap with, you know, what you're doing and, and your online presence. But we're chatting a bit offline about the career path. So you're a chef, food writer, TV chef and food journalist. Have I missed anything? Too many words. <laughs> I think the best summary would be, I just love to feed people. The lady that likes to stuff food in your face. <laughs> That's incredible. I love feeding people. Actual food and like, you know, experiences, you know, um, food experiences that are memorable. Amazing. You studied economics to start off with. Yes, I did. I did. Yeah. And you went from economics to cooking. Yeah, you just say it like my mom did. <laughs> Legit, because my... I, I feel like that's what an African parent would say, right? Like it's, yeah. it's that yeah. crass. And considering how much importance as a culture we place on food, it almost seems unreal why we're not encouraged more to pursue careers in culinary arts or culinary education or culinary anything like the rest of the world yeah. has you know like there's cordon yeah. bleu in france etc etc yeah what are we missing um to be honest we're not that different from the rest of the world because the truth is even though everybody eats and technically the food industry is you know really really uh, thriving it's not an industry that you make a lot of money in in all parts of the industry. So the boss of the big conglomerates and the Nestle's and, the, you know, companies like that, obviously are making a lot of money because they're selling worldwide. When you look at the menial part of cook, the cook, your sous chef or the, the cook or the prep cook, or, you know, the lady on the street just frying akara, whatever she's cooking, um, they're not making billions. So it's never been seen as a career as a career choice it's almost seen as just something you do as a job just to get by yeah I think that's where I differ in the view that actually but those people are able to educate their kids exactly feed, live live a life exactly feed themselves exactly um, they build an entire family and and yeah and the kids exactly. go on to be doctors yeah yeah and the like kids a, go on a, to be doctors yeah a friend of actually one of my siblings her mom sent her kids I think all, all of them through university, et cetera. And she was a bole seller and, yeah. you know, still says bole. And her kids now are 
you know, working at big corporate international firms off of her lovely bolean fish. So, yes. I, so this is yeah, yeah. I I think there's a mindset that those jobs don't make you millionaires, but what if that's an honest living? giving you a quality and standard of life and your next generation something better. I think vocational jobs. I think we're now starting to see an appreciation of the art and the skill of that. I remember growing up, and I don't know if you have a similar experience around um, your experience of food and it would be great to hear how you grew up around food and of course yeah. you know chefing and if your mom had a cook this podcast is sponsored by malay natural science malay's products are inspired by the rich landscapes alluring scents and ancient wisdom of africa their luxurious fragrance and body care range balances 100% natural active ingredients and scientifically proven formulas to heal protect and pamper your skin Malay ships worldwide and you can buy their products at maleeonline.com. They also offer a free sample if you'd like to try. My mum had like an interior design business and in the boys quarters she had like a mini little uh, factory there going on with the sewing machines and they would sew. But one of the ladies there fried the meanest plantain. Now, I have no idea what she did to the plantain when she fried it, <laughs> but I would come from school and I would literally go and steal her away from her day job, which when I think about it now, I think I, I somehow converted her to being like my nanny, even though she wasn't because of Aww. her sweet, sweet plantain. She passed away a few years, a few years later, but it, it was it was just my first experience of someone and she genuinely loved cooking it was incredible Aww. and you have a passion for feeding people but beyond that i think you have a passion for sharing your love for food would yes. that be accurate yes i think honestly i've never had somebody else describe me to me in such a way before this is exactly how i feel um, it, it's oh, it's you. not just about cooking. Mm. I enjoy cooking, but I think I possibly because if I loved cooking more than sharing, I think I'd cook for myself more often. After I cook for others, I'm tired and I just eat leftovers or takeaway. Yeah, interesting. People are you surprised. don't even eat what yeah. you cook. No, I do. But the thing is, not sometimes I'm tired and I'm I'm not desperate to eat only my food. If you know what I mean. So that description for me, the pleasure is in giving it to somebody, seeing their face getting their text message to say, oh, Lerato, the other day I got a message from somebody who ordered uh, gourmet brownies. And she said, I just came back from work and my friend sent me your brownies and it's the most delicious thing I've ever eaten in my life. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if that's not true. She may have had, you know, something else last week and thought it was more. But the point is, her, her heart was filled with joy at that very moment. You yeah, know what I mean? That's beautiful. Um, so even before eating it, for me, it's just about passing on this love and joy to somebody else, make them feel happy and good just for a moment, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like my drug, if you know what I mean. It's it's what I, this is what I live for. Not just the cooking, because that's a very, very hard part. We're going to get into it. It's not pretty. It's not glamorous. But the finished 
product and the end result is to make people my fellow human being happy and con- and then you know the person that has sent the brownies is happy so i've made two people yes, happy yes yeah yeah no this is you 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 i think we should just finish this podcast now because you've described it <laughs> <laughs> thank you you've summarized the whole thing thank you for me this is exactly how i feel about sharing food yeah um, i think it's an expression of love we as africans you know that when you're when you have a guest you know as a kid you're you come back home with your your friends you're talking your about guests like, come and eat you're talking about come guests. And eat how about the the way to a man's heart is through his tongue <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly this is how we were brought up by feeding people you're expressing love you're looking after yeah. them you're nurturing them you know when you reject food it's like a read it's like a rejection of love oh you know goodness I mean? you should you should watch my I, it's interesting I, I watch now the relationship of like my mom and my daughter and you know my daughter's she's barely two but you can see my, like the, the relationship my mom's already cultivating with her with food and and bless her she loves food so you don't need much convincing with her to eat but you see my mom's appreciation when, you know, my daughter puts something in her mouth and goes, mm, yummy, Aww. yummy. Aww. And <laughs> I feel like in those Aww. two seconds, my mom's world is made. Uh, she's because gone to heaven and back. Exactly. Oh. There's something she's made that's that's put joy in someone else's heart. Yes, but yeah. for you, I guess your career has been incredible um, in food. You've worked with Tilda waitrose bbc melee a whole bunch of um, prestigious members diverse brands yeah Yeah, and diverse brands whether they're appliance brands or food brands or retailers and you've been able to take this fusing of flavors from african from the african continent and in a way put african cuisine into more homes that are non-african in the uk how does that feel as like an achievement? It feels great. But I think, honestly, I, I think there's much more to do. I think I've just scratched the surface, um, but it feels really good. It feels, it makes me feel um, accepted. It makes me feel that my people, um, my culture is accepted. And it makes me feel empowered to do much more because I can see that whatever it is I'm doing is working. People are interested so it no longer feels like a battle to me. I'm not on, on I'm not battling the, because I think in the beginning and even now, a lot of people who perhaps are doing similar things that I'm doing always go on about how, oh, African food is not seen in the same light, which is the truth. But I'm no longer taking that. I'm no longer fighting. I'm just flowing with it. And people are loving it. People but are. But I feel like you're, cre- you're creating a space for it. But what's so beautiful yeah. about the way that you do it is you almost celebrate the origin of the produce. Yes. Like we were talking about yes. granuts before we went on air, right? Yes, 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 granuts. <laughs> and, and the way that you celebrate that in your cooking. And if you don't know the concept of granuts, someone can follow your cooking experience and find granuts now a desire to experience granuts in the way that you've shared the origin, the context of the flavors, that relationship with you, is that conscious? Because we we see the Gordon Ramsay's and the Jamie Oliver's and, you know, these 
well-known Western international chefs. I love Saturday morning and Sunday morning cooking shows. Why I find them so entertaining, uh, considering that it's not like I, I jump out of bed and go and make myself whatever I see. It's usually like a cup of tea afterwards and, and cereal. Yeah. <laughs> but Aww. it's beautiful to see that being done with our food because I think within us within our communities we can enjoy stories of food together we can enjoy flavors but to see that translated to a wider audience was that conscious for you that decision to go okay my my way of sharing my food and the joy in it would be by immersing people into my world with or my relationship with the food and the produce Mm completely everything about everything I do from the cookery classes where we have you know I'm teaching people how to cook African style you know Africa I teach them the tradition then I teach them how to make it in what I call modern African cooking meaning using the best of what you have there's no point teaching somebody how your grandma did it if they can't do it that way Uh, or if yeah you know if they can't find a pestle and mortar to pound the yam (laughs) if they can't find you know what I mean it's pointless I chop onions in a blender like (laughs) good good for you darling that's what it's that's what it's there for that's what it's there for no shame in that that's that's what that invention was created for yeah so your your question spot on every single thing the cookery classes even the brownies I didn't start making the gourmet brownies because I wanted to make brownies it's intentional so that we can have a conversation about West African cocoa yeah you know so every single layer that I've added to the business was to create a discussion and to immerse you into what I grew up with but not just to give you an experience you know like when you go to the theater you have a wonderful experience you dress up you go home you take off your clothes that's the end I want you to go home remember it and then relive it whenever you want so that's why you know from the class to the little products we're bringing out I just want people to be able to I want to because the best way to influence people is to be part of their lives daily in the food setting, what's the best way to keep people remembering or wanting to try your food? You give it to them at a supper club, at, a, at, at your restaurant or at a cookery class. You teach them how to cook it and how to cook it based on their lifestyle. So if you're vegan, I teach you how to cook, uh, make suya cauliflower. And it's like, oh my God, amazing. You would never find that on the streets of Lagos, but you can have it in your house. Why not? You know, and then I leave you with recipes and then we have all these other products. So at any given point in time, When I'm saying more people should try African food, I've given you choices and avenues to try African food and to keep trying African food. So it's it's all intentional. Yeah, and you celebrate people, culture, produce, all in the same breath. Like you touched on your brownies. And I guess if anyone doesn't know, they can go onto your website and and find, find out more. But there's something about sharing the source of the cocoa and the people it comes from and the value that brings into the community. I think one of the key things for me and every guest on I have on the show is, um, one, I realize that everyone's doing purposeful work um, and their work extends beyond them. And it's very much about a celebration of our heritage and being able to push the needle on our culture and perceptions thereof and open up through their work to the world 
parts of our culture that matter and that should matter and continue to matter and create value. And you do that so beautifully with with your work. And I think I see it. I'm sure a lot of people out there see it. Um, And I think for the first time, I want to say you're the first African chef waitress has uh, uh, partnered with. Honestly, I never even thought about it, but... um... (laughs) I don't know. <laughs> I think you, I, I think well, you are. I think, I think I, I, partnered with in the way that they have in terms of like allowing me to come in store, yes. sending my men, sending my menu to their customers. Because the waitress thing is is so multifaceted. Sending my menu to their customers to buy the tickets, aligning themselves with me. You know, yeah, I would say, yeah. We, do you know what? I, I yeah, <laughs> I never really thought about it. <laughs> I think for they've done it with like Asian cuisine. Caribbean cuisine, African cuisine in that way. I think North Africa had like a bit of uh, an introduction at some point, but that just never really clicked into mainstream consumer culture in the UK. Um, yeah, no, I'd say I'd say North Africa, meaning Tunisia, Morocco. The thing is, in the West, Morocco is just seen as Middle East for some reason. People don't really remember some people don't actually even know they just don't think about it as africa they'd say so for example they'd say things like oh i love harissa oh i love all these middle eastern food but harissa is not middle east it's african yeah it's african (laughs) and i guess the the the, the education in your work also is beautiful and it's not very it's not i'm only touching on flavors of west africa and actually in the last few years and I'll say most especially when I started looking at weaning my daughter so I'm a secret foodie I love food one of one of my best best pastime activities is actually having a good meal um eating literally it is (laughs) and looking at combining flavors and introducing her to tastes and almost studying that by and large, a lot of our tastes and understanding of food across Africa is very similar. So going to Morocco for the first time and finding out they have something called shawaya, which is the same as suya, similar ingredients. So it's peanut based with spices, etc. And also looking at just migration through Africa and how our influences are. And navigating that, actually, I found interesting. And I'm sure you find this a lot with your food. Hence, you're able to have fun with your flavors. Yes. In the way that you do. Yes. And no, I'm glad you touched on this point because that fact helps me a lot. When When I, too, in traveling and discovering and researching, realized a lot of our food is so... And I make this point. I'm writing a cookbook, by the way. And I make this point. I say... I say I'm celebrating our differences and similarities because we're different, but we're also very similar, more similar than we could ever imagine. And perhaps because of travel, migration, or or just maybe coincidence. But um, like you said, a lot of the things we eat, like I might meet somebody and they say, oh, oh, I really want to come to your cookery class and, and I, I like the idea of your groundnut stew because I had mafe when I went to Senegal yeah. or wherever, and I'm like, it's the same thing. Yeah, 
<laughs> it is. That's mafe. <laughs> Literally. You know what I mean? The differences are one or two ingredients, which again, for a chef and a culinary artist, I would call it, um, those subtleties make a huge impact. You touched on like speaking about vegan food. And for the first time, actually, it, it occurred to me that we have a lot of vegan dishes as Africans. Yeah. A ton. Like my favorite, beans and plantain. Oh, <laughs> kill me with that, right? Beans and plantain. I tell people it's the food. I think my mother weaned me on beans and potato, which I think is mm. a weird combination. Interesting. But it, it's a, a good substitute for, for yams, though, or, or plantains. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering why potato, but... um. Honestly, when I'm poorly, when I'm sad, when I'm not well, I'm just not myself, I need to eat beans and plantain. It does something. It soothes my soul. Um, it's the food I want to eat if I'm dying. That's what I want to eat. Like the last, if, if it's the last meal, meal I'm to have on earth, I want it to be beans and plantain. Really? Yes. That's what I want to eat. Oh, wow. <laughs> I just discovered I just discovered yeah. like brown beans and they have a, a slightly different taste. So for, for a long time I've always had black eyed beans. Um, ah, okay. And okay. then I moved and I have this like superstar African supermarket close to me. And I swear oh, he has everything. And everything. Everything. I, I kid you not. So is it is it sweeter? Is it so that there's brown beans and there's apparently beans? apparently it's so it's the honey uh-huh. beans which apparently has a, a yeah, sweeter, a sweeter taste yeah, to yeah. it um and i'm also learning that actually move through tribes even just within yeah. nigeria alone and it's a whole culinary yeah, experience different kinds yeah yeah even uh, one of the most popular bean dishes in nigeria um ewa going it's from um, bina the neighboring country i think nigerian typical nigerian would say benin i say bina I, I i lived in bina as a child uh, the franco our francophone neighbor and it came from there, you know, a lot of the Yorubas from Bina. Yeah, uh, well, Brazilians call it, Nigeria. isn't it feijoada in, in, in Brazil? Feijoada. But feijoada is made a little bit differently. The spicing is a little bit, it's it's not as hot as ours. And um, in Bina and Nigeria, we make the, the agoy um, chili. It's like the burnt mm. uh, palm oil and chili paste that comes with it. But it's it's honestly... It's um it's quite similar, and that's what we're talking about. The food transcends culture. It's it's um it's it a universal language. Just one people, exactly. It transcends just one people, and that's why my approach is not to cuddle it like it's mine. So I say, this is what I experience, and I'd like you to have it. I'd like you to try it. Um, I explain to people where where it's from, how it's you know a little detail, and I say, make it your own. I don't see anything wrong in somebody deciding that they want to make pasta out of plantain. It's not a bastardization of our food. I think anyone, for example, when people were angry that Jamie Oliver did the jollof and he went a little bit um, off piste with the recipe, I wasn't I wasn't mad at him because in reality, for me, because I teach cookery, I, I found technical problems with it. For example, he used cherry tomatoes. Now, cherry tomatoes are an expensive kind of tomato. So you would hardly find somebody, you know, I wouldn't advise somebody to buy enough cherry tomatoes to, to blend it, to make a sauce. If you have leftovers, fine. 
So I just had those little technical problems. In Nigeria, we wouldn't use um, cherry tomatoes, but it's tomatoes, mm. so it's not a crime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, I didn't have a problem with him doing that recipe. I feel like we should we should try to align ourselves with people like that who are who who are influencers. They're you know they're worldwide famous. Perhaps perhaps their team reached out to somebody. Perhaps not. But I think the more of us are out there doing important things and speaking up, the more visible we will be for people like that to contact us to say, you know, teach me or come on my platform and show my people, you know, show everyone how to cook jollof. You can't stop. Jamie Oliver is there to make money and to, you know, to be a worldwide success. So if tomorrow he decides to take a camera crew to Nigeria and write a cookbook about Nigeria, you can't be mad at him. No. No, <laughs> you know, no. you can't. You can't be mad at him, you know. So that's what I I'm trying to do. So I'm trying to make myself relevant by making sure I give information. I make sure you you know I'm sharing my my culture. Uh, I'm sharing and I'm learning at the same time, just so that when you need that information, you come to me. And that's why people like Tilda, you know, came to me and said, you know, can you create three West African recipes for us? I actually went on their website to check if they had done anything like this before and they before, hadn't yeah. amazing <laughs> they, they had but a brand, a a brand like tilda is yeah. is incredible worldwide and, and... brand you know worldwide brand so i went on their website to check and it's all asian food and you know and so i thought for me that that was actually very very good it was a very good collaboration and a very good message it sent because it also sends a message to African people and African people of African descent that their food matters and it can be mainstream. Mm. But but that um, recipe travels, sends, huh? Your recipe travels, with, yeah. with Tilda then travels down to the retailers, travels. travels into yes. many more homes. Whether it travels now or later, it travels. If you go on their website, it's it's on the front page. It's there as a featured recipe. Amazing. So these type of associations is what's needed to really build things, uh, make make it normal, make it, um, you know, have somebody in their home saying, do you know what? I fancy groundnut stew tonight. Why don't we, you know, why don't we make groundnut stew? The same way we say, oh, I fancy a Thai dinner. Yeah. Oh, I fancy Moroccan. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Um, so th- this, is, this, is a, this is my journey. And I'm not saying that it would be, it will be so tomorrow, but I think I'm trying to build a legacy as well. Um, so beyond me, um, I build a company that's successful. I build a legacy where we know that, you know, this lady did something amongst, you know, with other people as well to try to integrate our culture into the mainstream without forcing, I'm not forcing you. I'm not forcing it. I'm just saying, this is what we eat. This is how you can cook it. Try and it's working. And I think just on a personal note, um, I know like the number of friends I've introduced plantain and jollof rice to. Like, I feel like, you know, I've achieved something when you then have a friend who's like, who sends you pictures um, of their own. It feels so good, doesn't it? It does, because I think as you say, as human beings, we, we search for commonalities between each other and we find safety and comfort within the similarities we have. And to see other people appreciate something that you value is, is beautiful. 
when did you know that you wanted to cook as a career? Um, oh gosh, honestly. So after university, I went to Nigeria to do NYSE. Oh. My mother forced me back. Okay. Apparently, if you want, these are her exact words. If you want to be president, you have to have done it. So you have to come back. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, thought, so for your latent presidential aspirations. Yeah. Honestly, that's what she said to me. She said, if you want to be president, you have to do it. And then yeah. I thought, hmm, you never know. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I went back to So be- prior to that, I had been cooking, you know, as we do in university, my, a lot of my money was spent on, you know, I think as young people we spend money on makeup, going out, drinking, partying, but I wasn't really that social in that way. I liked more quiet social activities. So I'd go out to, I made it my business to know all the restaurants. I knew all the place, I knew everything. So I'd go out to eat and then I'd come home and not, not really intentionally, but I'd miss, you know, what I ate in the restaurant. I'd be like, oh, let me just try to make it. Let me just try to. But then even before that, as a child, because your question is as a career, but I need to go back a little. As a child, I realized that I loved the, I just, I was just enchanted by the creation of flavor from, we had a, we had a chef at home. You mentioned this when you started, you were like, you know, you growing up. So growing up, we had a chef called Papa. Now we had many chefs, but he was the most memorable and the most, the one that really. He was called Papa or Papa. Papa, yeah, Papa. No, actually, no, he was called Papa, actually. I'm not sure why Papa. Papa. He was called Papa. Yeah, my mom called nice. him Papa. He was an Aquaibom man, which is where my father's from. He was called Papa. My mom stole him. I mean, it sounds funny to say this. So your dad's Aquaibom and your Delta mom is? Evo. Okay. Um. So my mom stole him from her her health club. Okay. He was So he was the chef at this health club my mom used to go to. And she loved the food so much. So she nicked him, as you know. Parents do this all the time. I'm sure you have your, you know, your parents would, they can, they can steal a chef from anywhere, or anyone that they feel like they like their work. So she stole him from the health club, and Papa was my mom was a single single mom. We lived with her, and she would travel a lot. So Papa was in charge of our meals. She would cook our meals on the weekends when she was around. And I just thought, gosh, what is this man making? How, like, what is this food? It smells so nice. My brother would just, he just wanted to sit sit back and be fed. So I was really inquisitive um, and I'd, I'd sneak into the kitchen and I wasn't allowed. I wasn't allowed in the kitchen, but when my mom wasn't there, I'd sneak in and I'd be like, Papa, what's that? What are you cooking? I put my hand in the pot and taste. So I started going in the kitchen and cook and helping Papa out um, illegally. <laughs> <laughs> As we all do. By the time I, yeah, yeah, by the time I was, I think thirteen or fourteen, my mom was like, "Come, you know." We, she was like, "You know what? You're a teenager now." Because then our lifestyle was very much fifty percent London, fifty percent Nigeria type living. So when I was about thirteen, fourteen, about to sort of, she was about to ship me off more permanently. Um, she says, you know, you're you're leaving home soon, so I need to teach you all this stuff. I'm going to show you what the market looks like. You know, I'm going to teach you how to cook. And I was like, <laughs> I already know how to cook. <laughs> Too late. So it's, it was a little bit unusual. This is her feeling like this is the first time you're going to encounter cooking. Encounter, yeah. Amazing. Cooking, yes. But, but it, yeah, but it was, I think, relatively late for a Nigerian child. Anyway, I don't know. I, I feel 
to have gone to the market at 14. So she took me to like Lagos. I think it was Balogun. I'm not sure. It was just a very scary market, I remember. <laughs> she took me to a big market. I think it was Balogun But she market. didn't re- realize you and Papa had been throwing down. We'd be, like me and Papa. Honestly, Papa had started giving me tasks. You know, I was cooking already. Yeah. I already understood flavor, yeah. processes, chopping, things like that. I'd already, I'd already got a few burns here and there um, from frying plantain. So... You know, she, I, I, I knew food from Papa, who essentially was feeding us as kids. And then my mom continued, you know, and then, so when I went to university, I knew how to cook. I knew how to develop flavors. So in the restaurant, I would eat something and ask the waiter. I'd be like, what, can you ask the chef what, what's in this? You know, what did he add here? Did he put this? Did he put that? I would ask them, like, I know all the tricks. Oh, wow. I know- so, so you were, you were ready yeah, like yeah, I was dissecting food yeah. that you were con- consuming. Exactly. So I thought, I, yeah. Then I'd go home and try to recreate that, and that's how I learned. I became an intuitive cook. I can recognize flavor. If something is off, I know. If something, I, I can tell. If if you've made me a burger and the meat is slightly old or slightly, you know, I can I can tell all those things, and it just developed into a passion. And then after university, where I studied economics, and I then I went to Nigeria. And something really funny happened. I found a location for a food business and I got a job with the BBC. I turned the job down and then I went ahead with the location. Stop. Um, and that, <laughs> yeah, so that's how You it were happened. that confident in your ability to be, I don't want to say foodpreneur, but an entrepreneur. I wasn't confident, but I was just burning with, with passion. I wasn't confident. I wasn't sure, but I was just, something was just burning inside me. I had to do it. You know, when you want something so badly that you can't sleep, you can't breathe everything in your life. This is how my work, my business. If I decide I want to add something to the business, I can't sleep. I literally Mm. do not sleep. Yeah. Um, so I had this burning desire and this is no exaggeration. My mom, I put, I put the lady on the, on the speakerphone. She was yelling at me. She couldn't believe, I think she thought I was a joker to be because I did so well at pursuing the job and getting it and then I turned it down but then this is not this is not to say that it's good to turn down jobs but I have no regrets because because of what I did then I am where I am now amazing you know it, it my mother couldn't believe it but but she always um even though she said so you studied economics and now you want to be a cook she still supported me anyway <laughs> yeah but at this point you're you're now doing the pizzas this is the gourmet pizzas and the catering company yes. yeah this is the catering company and i'll tell you why i chose pizzas and this is in abuja in Nigeria, right? so you, leaving the uk economics degree nysc and yeah. BBC offers you something, but then you decide yeah. I'm going to make gourmet <laughs> yeah. pizza and cater. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. It was a purely business decision. I come from a family that likes, we really love cheese and mm. cured meats. We eat that a lot. But in a typical Nigerian home, it's not always, it's not really common. No. Across the board, it's no. not. It's something that it, it, even even though you're well-traveled, it's, it's got nothing to do with class or money. Some people just, a lot of Nigerians, Africans just don't like dairy or uncooked meat well i guess a a large a large percentage of them are intolerant to dairy intolerant exactly Mm. yeah but in my family we love cheese and um cured meats addicted so i made a business decision to make it a pizzeria because i noticed that the, the the few pizzerias we had were lebanese owned um 
And a lot of them were serving people chicken, um, pepperoni, which was actually chicken yeah. or beef. Salami, a lot of a lot of salami as well in place of pepperoni. Yeah. So not 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 to dig not to make a dig at them, but it was like fake pizza in my opinion. Mm. So I said, you know what? Since Nigerians love pizza, I'm gonna set up a pizzeria. Um, build a wood, a, a build an oven, mm. um, create a process where we can deliver mm-hmm. and make proper Italian thin pizza mm. where we're making the dough from scratch every morning and m- m- leaving it to, you know, to rise nice. well mm-hmm. and using pepperoni, actual pepperoni, which is, which is pork mm. with paprika cured. Um, and this was difficult in Abuja because Abuja has a lot of Muslims who yeah, don't eat pork. I was going to ask, so, hence I said in Abuja. Cause... Yeah, but then, but then Abuja also has people who are not who are non-Muslim. Mm. So I thought I'd do pepperoni as it should be with buffalo de mozzarella, proper mozzarella cheese, and we also have different toppings. So if 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 you're Muslim and you don't want pork, you have chicken. You could have. But then I had customers who would tell me, "Why is your pork? Why is your pepperoni pork?" I'm like, "That is what pepperoni is." So people had been selling them pepperoni as something else. That's a lie. That's fake. You should tell your customer what it is. Say it's it's you know it's like pepperoni, but it's not pepperoni. Is not, you can't call pepperoni chicken. You can't call it anything else. But was that was that because of cost primarily? I, I I can't speak for them, but what I can say for sure was obviously because Muslims don't eat pork, so they had to give them something else. But then you're lying in the process. Um, and, and of course, cost, cost, from my perspective, the pepperoni obviously was more expensive because it had to be imported and things like that. But my, so my thinking from a very early stage was share food, but I'm also a businesswoman. I have to also think of what, um, you know, what, what's a good business in, in that particular climate. And I had friends who were quite young. A lot of us had came back, um, returnees. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of us had came back at the same time. Yeah, you you were part of that wave, I feel. Yeah, a lot of us were back. Whether, you know, just trying to discover ourselves, trying to work and trying to be part of, you know, Nigeria, trying to do things, you know, to to sort of, you know, create a new sort of environment for, uh, for us and for, you know, our country. And, you know, I had some friends at the law school. So that's when I set up like a delivery service where we were literally doing these sort of, we would send out messages and people would order, people would order together to save money on delivery, delivery costs. So it was, I was challenging myself and discovering myself as a businesswoman. At this point, you finished your NYSC. Yes, so this was after NYSC. Um, and it was basically a decision of what next, do I go back to England or do I, uh, you know, stay for the BBC? The BBC job was actually a great reason to stay. But then I went and had big eyes and opened this food mm, business. <laughs> amazing. Um, and then that just spiraled into so many other things. We had a customer who um, was a TV producer and we got talking really passionately about his TV show. And unfortunately, the lady that was supposed to be on it was pregnant and, and had a you know an episode and couldn't do it. And then he was like, oh, I think you should do it. And I'm like, what? And, you know, the rest is history. That was how I got on TV for the first time. Yeah. So passion does take you far, regardless of what some people might feel. So there was no conscious thought for you, which was, I'm going into 
TV, cooking, no, food journalism. This has all just been organic for you in its evolution. Yeah. Yes. Amazing. Yes. I. Yeah. I. Do you know what I? Do you know what I think my my saving grace is? I'm very self aware and very. Um, I don't know how to put it. I'm very awake, so I'm constantly thinking about what I love, what I'm doing, and then constantly picking up on things around me. So I hardly ever miss an opportunity, not because I'm always looking for an opportunity, but I'm just very present. Um, And I think you're very perceptive as well. Um, I think you have, you know, there are people who have the ability to understand what they see and articulate that and and turn that, yeah, and, and also turn it into something. I think you do that quite well. And I think looking at your career and what you've been able to do, and especially your your tone around the cooking classes in the cooking school. Um, you know, I remember growing up and there was always like the Maggie show where. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that lady. I liked her. I'm following do her on know, Facebook. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And there was yeah. that woman from Maggie and yeah, I, it was an aspiration then yeah. in my head as a young yeah. kid to see yeah. someone cook in that way. She was good fun. Yeah. And I feel she like you fun. bring that to what you do. Like if, oh, if that wow. was a nostalgic reference, that would be mine yeah. for you. Um, oh, and well, that's nice. Mm. And, and how you do that with your cooking classes, especially, you know, we're all living through COVID-19 now. Every business is taking a huge knock and, hearing you say look people are gifting my brownies as something to cheer a friend up is beautiful but you're also offering online cooking courses one-to-one or as a group now is that something and and this was pre-covid no actually was it um, i thought it was no no so it's one of those things that I've always been told to do. I've always been told. I've always in in my researching, you know, how to grow my business. I've always wanted to do, but I never had time to do it. So as soon as um we were we were put on lockdown, I had my 5 minutes of panic because my business is at a crucial stage where we're actually we're, we're at a pivotal growth stage where we were literally just about to go boom with you know, putting the brownies out there with a new product line, with growing the cookery school. And then this happened. So we had spent quite a bit. You know, when you're just about to, it's like a, you know, you're about to just- I call it speculate to accumulate. Yeah. That's what I call it. You know, I'd been doing this one woman show for for a while and having lots of freelance stuff. So if I'm in London, for example, I have an assistant in London. If so, nobody was paid full time. We were just about to start doing things on a bigger scale because I had gathered enough momentum. And then this happened. So I was like, oh my goodness, like why now? But then, you know, I'm not in any minority. We're all suffering in different ways. And then I thought, right, now is the time. So- there's nothing good about COVID, but it's forcing a lot of us to pivot. It's, it's forcing some of us to pivot and it's forcing some of us to accelerate 
things yeah, that we should and also have focus done already. Pa- focus on for me it's it's totally giving me a kick up the backside to focus on parts of my business that for years I have totally ignored not because I well because I I also ignored it but also because I found revenue in other parts of my business and didn't think that I needed to diversify and invest that much especially for things that seemed like a lot of work so I think for everyone you know creating digital content is time consuming when you're not digitally native it's hard work because you're learning new skills you know we're talking about you know who does all your filming before you went yeah before yes. went online yes and you're you're telling me you're not tech savvy but the content you produce is great yeah i've literally taught myself in in the space of weeks to film myself at home and edit it put it out there to the point where it's it's not it's not actually a hobby it's part of my business i'm paid to do this I put it out there on my Instagram for my followers, for everyone to learn, but I'm having brands pay for the content to share their own message. So well, that that just tells you, you know, sometimes we, we also um, limit ourselves. This is not to say that in business, you should do everything all the time. But sometimes, because honestly, I've been told, why don't you create online content? But I always said, oh, no, it won't be very nice. Oh, I, I don't think I can. And then I watch other people's content that they do at home. In my head, I just feel always felt like if, there's, if there isn't a camera crew following me around, it's not going to be nice. Who's going to want to watch it? That's what I, that's, this is my perception. Well, there's, but, but I think that is the perception of the standard of perfection, right? And there's always this, and I guess we get this a lot in our community because it's always like, oh, but you're only starting now when the train has already left and such and such on a global scale, right? Because there's lots of people who are cooking and sharing those experiences. If, if anything, COVID has brought out the inner chefs in everybody. Yeah, in everybody. Everybody. Gosh. <laughs> if you never cooked before, everyone's yeah. cooking on IGTV and, and sharing yes. that experience. I, yeah. I think in Asia, it's like mukbang or something it's called, right? Where they cook together and they all sit and virtually eat together. Yeah. I feel yeah. like they, they, they had that before and we're somehow yeah. immersing ourselves in we're this. We're just catching on now, yeah. You know, the rest of the world yes. is only getting that memo that, Perhaps yeah. digitally we can engage with food in that way. We can engage, yeah. But a lot of people are there's 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 still a lot of um, a lot of people still because I I have some people mess send me emails. They're like, oh hi, um, I I just wanted to check that my val I received a voucher for my birthday. I just want to check that I can still use it when all this is over. Some people are not keen oh, wow. on going online. <laughs> Oh, wow. Some people are not keen. They don't see it as the same thing. And it's not the same thing, but we have to accept that. It's something else, but it's something else that we can enjoy. Yeah, but you it, know? I think the option the option to be able to do that, um, you know, the idea of the kids' cookery class is also yes. great. Um, yes. I know that I'm saved by a lot of these digital classes with my daughter, um, because for a short period of time, I have a, a digital babysitter who's happy to, to, to engage with her. You know, she's attended Zoom birthday parties. Oh, um, that's so good. <laughs> and, 
you know that these businesses are uh, keeping their lights on, but at the same time, as a society, these things are needed. And the ability, like you said, in a matter of weeks, to then teach yourself, how can I film? Because we take for granted these Saturday, Sunday morning TV shows. They, they are like to be able to zoom in on the plate, then show your face, then, yes. you know, how, how keep do you it like, going and keep it going? Yeah. <laughs> and tell someone, mmm, ah, it smells delicious. No, it's lovely. It's amazing. And you're yeah, salivating. And, and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're and salivating. Things, things go wrong. Yeah, things go wrong on TV. Because in Nigeria, I worked on live TV. Things go wrong. You probably won't see it. You know, everyone just has to act normal. <laughs> uh, here's one I made earlier. I always wonder, is it the actual, like, is it even cooked? Because sometimes it just looks so beautiful. <laughs> Is it actually, yes. or is it styled? So if it, if on a TV show it says, here's one I made earlier, and they actually cut into it, it's cooked, it, you know. But I'll tell you one secret, though. Magazine shoots for food, most of the time, it's not cooked to the exact degree that it should be cooked because some foods just won't look nice if you cook it properly. I'll give you one example. Roast chicken. Some of the most some of the time roast chicken that you're seeing on the websites are not necessarily well cooked because you have to maintain a particular gloss on the outside. Yes. And um you know, if you want to roast your chicken properly at home, it'll probably have a bit of a char. Yeah. That may not come out nice in a magazine. So a lot of a lot of shoot, a lot of styled food can be my my food on my Instagram for example and on my website are properly cooked because I always I tend to what I do to amass content is I just take pictures of what I cook for events for my house I double up so I'm not having to I never really plan a shoot just for a shoot sake I plan my menu at home and then I take a picture of it or I cook for an event and then I take a picture I, I don't know how to curate my life in fact I find it exhausting Mm, it's hard work um, so it's yeah, hard I find work it exhausting um yeah, i don't think i i don't think i even want to a lot of people have beautiful instagram pages and content it's all planned out i just i just can't live like that it, it's hard <laughs> so. work i know i shoot a lot of campaign imagery from malay so photography is one of my hobbies and interests and passions i i enjoy it um the perfectionist nature of me I, I work better with inanimate objects than I do humans um but I have set myself a challenge this year to to do more um like human photography but with the tips and tricks you know you use you can't eat the food after they're done shooting it I think because it's oil you're spraying water you kind of have to keep the food looking hydrated and plump exactly <laughs> and there's a huge skill in being able to present food like you know, there's always this question, how do you present African food in a beautiful way? Like, yes, there's always that yes. question. How do you make, like, a mound of Eba look appealing with egusi <laughs> <laughs> in the right proportions yes. that's needed to be eaten, by the way? Yes. No, do, do you know what I do? I just tend to imagine what... I ask myself, how would I like to see it? I think that's the first thing that helps me imagine how I should plate things. Um, plate it how you how it, you know plate it in a way that it would seduce you if you were the customer, um, and you know and and things like you know a bar for example and and 
are swallows. I mean, if you just put it on a plate and, and like a pile of mush. I mean, some people don't mind that, but, you know, the general world, I, I always say you have to seduce people to eat your food. Um, you know, perhaps if it's a, a, things like Eba, put it in smaller bowls um, and, you know, and, and arrange it with the sauce looking nice and glossy. You know, it's, um, but then per- personally, I don't actually eat, um, my brother does, but I don't eat Eba and the, you know, what, what we call swallows. So, and not to sound uh, bougie or anything. It's just as a child, I just never liked it. So mm. I don't eat it. <laughs> oh, I'm a sucker for pounded yam. I wouldn't lie. Oh, do you know why I, I wouldn't mind pounded yam? Because I love yam. Oh, oh fried yam. Goodness. Oh, yes. I love yam on it. You know, yam as a food is, I'm, it, it makes me so happy <laughs> to eat fried yam. And it's all crispy on the outside and uh, soft inside. Fluffy on the inside. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yam is amazing. And I tell people it's essentially just like mashed potatoes, mm. you know, but it's just that things like Ebba, for example, my mom would give me Ebba when I, when I'm sick, like if I'm really, really ill, it's so heavy to for my body yeah. that it makes me like, <laughs> yeah, it's so heavy that it makes me crash. Like it makes me pass out. Um, so that's why on a normal day, it's not something that's part of my typical diet because it's just so heavy for me. But my brother, on the other hand, oh gosh, he was he was raised on a diet of you know soups and swallows, while I like beans. Um, I and love plantain. beans <laughs> and plantain. Yeah, I love. I I actually had somebody I I put on my Instagram. Hi, can anyone help me um, post? Can anyone post plantains to me? Happy to pay for it. And I had several people um, offer. You're um, not able to get plantains in Eastbourne now. They we we have like we have two stores that sell plantain, but on specific days. Ah, uh, so you keep so missing it. You, I have to call them in advance to keep it for me. Um, I can't just walk in and find it. It's it's really a a rare item here. <laughs> oh wow! Um, we have not that many Africans, but then we we have we have there's there's i've heard that there, there are a few brazilians but not who are too fighting far from for the produce not too far from brighton right if you have a filipino community close to you they eat plantains too so yeah great yeah, place to find yeah. some i have a question here where has food taken you well food to be honest in my lifetime i haven't traveled that much because i spent my childhood studying working spent my adult life working working but what I've done is what I've been what I've managed to do is traveled a little bit um, around Nigeria and different parts of Nigeria. So Mina, you know, a lot of Niger states, um, exploring food from different angles, finding out, you know, how, you know, mango season. I travel with my mom around different states so just to just to acclimatize myself with the different crops. And a lot of the things I know about Nigerian food is from the mamas in the market and the farmers. I would actually would go around and meet people at the co-ops and ask questions. And I do the same when I go to other countries. If I go to Ghana, I just go around and ask questions, you know, from the locals in Senegal, same, Morocco, same. Um, even but you when haven't traveled to... much? <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead. <laughs> Every guest does this. Every guest is humble, like, beyond. Well, I haven't gone anywhere. I haven't gone anywhere. But hey, here are all these countries and cities I've been when to. I went to Japan. <laughs> no travel. No, I, you know, you know, it's never enough. It's never enough because there's always something to learn. 
And I tell you, this this desire as well to learn and share has made me add another part. You know, pre-COVID, we started doing, we started, we started planning culinary holidays where you know I take people on an immersive trip where you know we're not going out necessarily to do the mundane things. You know, we 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 have a, a nice villa where I teach them the foods of the people. We go around to the markets, we explore. And then for me, it's really important. Yeah, for me, it's really important when you're teaching people to make sure that you're teaching them according to how they live. Because I need you to go back home and cook this food and not just, I don't want my classes to be this sort of mementos. You know, oh, I went to a, a, a culinary holiday and I came back and then what next? I need you to live this um, life ongoing so that's what so in everything that I'm planning with Lerato Foods is I just want people to I want you to be I'll give you an example there's a lady in Eastbourne who I met when I first started teaching I think four years ago the first class I taught here was actually a Thai cooking class oh interesting Um, strategically because I said you know what I've just moved here I want to start teaching but I'm going to start with the most popular food that people here love and that was Thai so I started cooking, I started teaching them Thai cooking and then sort of put the African, you know, menu as part of my options to seduce people, but without shocking them too much, you know. So this lady who came with her daughter to the Thai class sent me a message and says, hi, Lerato, we've just done our shopping and we need to cook this Thai food because we can't get to our Thai restaurant, obviously. And I was just wondering, you know, you sent me the menu four years ago. We have a problem. We've bought rice, but we've bought the Uncle Ben's Quick Rice. Um, other brands available. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, we bought the quick micro. We bought the microwave rice. Yeah. Um, how do I how do I make coconut rice from microwave rice? And I said, simple. Hopefully, you have you know organic or very good quality coconut oil. Cook your rice as per instructions in the microwave or however you cook quick rice. And then just stir fry in coconut oil. And she did that. She was like, oh my gosh, amazing. Now, this is the relationship I'm building with my customers slash friends. You meet me four years ago and you can, you can send me a message on Facebook about how to cook coconut rice and we find a solution. This is, this is what I want, to build a rapport and to make cooking that, that thing that's not so scary anymore, where there's always a solution. You know, so I, I'm not trying to sell people a product and then forget about them. And I don't want you to forget me either. You know, I want them to need me. <laughs> Legit Maggie um, lady on your TV screen every week. Yeah. So this is what I'm trying to do with our food. I feel like if you can create a memorable, pleasurable experience with African food, you erase whatever prejudice or whatever, you know, whatever thought people have. Some people come and they say, do you know what? I came to your class because when I went to Ghana, I felt like everything tasted the same. Or I felt like they put too much Maggie. You know, people have a problem with eating too much MSG induced food. It's it's also, It can be quite salty. You know, they're like, oh, I had this food, but then it was too salty. And, you know, I, obviously I couldn't complain because I didn't want to offend. But I want to cook it at home and I want to know how to cook it you know, without having too much salt and too much. So people tend to ask me, oh, so the typical African coming to my class will say, so you're not going to use any Maggie? <laughs> and, I say, and I say, no, I, I, we can use stock, but I, I believe in using perhaps more, if it's not an organic stock, so something that has less salt, something a little bit more natural. Um, and of course you can, you can create your own stock, you know, you can maybe boil some vegetables 
and reduce it. And, you know, even even something as simple as using um, carrots and garlic and onions, that's an amazing stock or puree. So I teach them without preaching and without saying, don't use this. I'm just saying, you know, this is what I do. Why don't you try it? And then it works. I feel like people who preach and try to police people's eating habits don't necessarily get good results because you're forcing people to do something. So they might do it in front of you, but then are they going to do it at home? This is it. So this, this is, is, it. This, I think this is my approach of, to African food. Yeah. yeah the ease yeah. of it is important. I feel like we can keep going. Um, you have had an incredible journey with being able to put our food into so many non-African homes. And I'm excited for what comes next in your career, the cookbook. And I don't want to say normalizing because it's normal to us, but normalizing and I would say making more accessible and available flavors and foods that we love and having that be a part of an international palette. And I think you're doing an incredible job of it. And I'm Thank you. Thankful that you... Thank you. There's much more to do. <laughs> but I'm thankful that you came on the podcast today. Thank you so much. It's been great fun. Thank you. Where can everyone find you? We've kind of talked about it in roundabouts, but tell them where they can find you. My website is an amazing resource. There's everything on there. So it's loratofoods.com and you can find everything from cookery classes. There's, there's a few recipes. I'm actually doing a lot more now to update recipes to help people. And um, there's information about the classes, the catering part of the business, any brands I've worked with. And importantly, you know, sharing the food through our gourmet chocolate brownies. A new exciting addition will be spices. That's another way that I'm going to try to infiltrate families. (laughs) That's exciting. I'm happy to, to, to be a tester for you. Of course, of course, of course, <laughs> of course, many, many testers welcome. And yeah, it's, it's going to be a long journey. I don't, I don't see a finish line. I think it's just something that we all have to just, I'm doing it and the public and other fellow Africans can help me by spreading the word and also sharing their stories. And sometimes I write a post, for example, I say, what do you call this in your country? I, I'm doing it for me and for everyone else because I want to learn too. Oh, I do this a lot with my mom. Like when they'll tell me, oh, like it's like a name that you don't know. And they're like, what is Ugu? That was my question the other day. I'm like, what exactly is Ugu? And then she goes, what do you mean? Ugu is Ugu. (laughs) (laughs) And do you know what? Even Nigeria alone, we have different words for the the same thing. Same thing. So, So, yeah. yeah. It's crazy. And she's like, Ugu is Ugu. But I'm like, surely it has another name. Another name, yeah. Because my father from Akwaibom, they would call, I know Ugu because my mom's Delta Igbo. So yeah. my mom would say Ugu. But then my Akwaibom family, I don't even know what they call it. I, I really should find out. <laughs> I must say, I'm excited to seeing seeing how you introduce these things in your cookbook. And because I think that's the beauty of it, to, to be able to to do that. I, I've tried doing that with Malayan scent um, and immersing people into parts of our landscape that we find beautiful and nostalgic. I'm conscious of your time, so... Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of Third Culture Africans. Hopefully this has inspired anyone who has a passion for food to go out there and just share what they do. 
and think beyond monetizing and um like you say for you it's a pleasure in feeding people um and and perhaps see what their work can do in a different way monetizing is important but i feel like for you to get past that threshold you need to enjoy it and you know in the beginning there's not there's no money so you need to enjoy it to be able to cross that finish line you know if if there is a finish line so um you know um i think in any business you have to i'm sure you're passionate completely passionate and in love with your skincare line um otherwise you wouldn't <laughs> you know you wouldn't put so much effort i think you've gone 10 years plus or even yeah that, i'm so. still going yeah yeah and yeah, then i decided i decided that, yeah. to to start the podcast too um and and have <laughs> and have more of these conversations because i think they're relevant and i and i have them anyway and i got tired of navigating my business in a traditional way and wanted to add value beyond making people feel good with the products, but add value to our culture, to our community, and to have us celebrate each other and see each other and appreciate what goes into it, the hard work. And hopefully this episode gives someone the inspiration or supports to, you know, a guest that makes the difference. Um, Or it's out there in the universe for anyone who wants to find a reference point of, is there anyone that looks like me out there doing something that I would love to do one day, but don't even know how. Yes. Especially if you live in an international space where perhaps you feel that you're, you have less of an advantage. Cause that's, I think that's the fear with a lot of people, black ethnic minority Africans in the, in, in the country that's not yours. You worry about how people are going to receive you receive your product, receive your culture. But also how um, people will translate you as well, right? So, you know, we were speaking off air where you said, you know, you're conscious of, you know, what adjectives are used to describe you in mainstream media and you curate that and, and, and make sure that is representative of your beliefs consistently. Yeah, and that's a power I think some people don't know that they have. If the press approaches you, even if you approach them, it's your right to be happy about how you're portrayed. And the only way you can be happy about how you're portrayed is to control the message or, or have a say in the message. Make sure that you're, you're being sent back, um, you know, final edits. Make sure you suggest, you know, the, descri- the kind of descriptions you want. Describe yourself, you know, so that you're, you're not left with descriptions that perhaps you're not happy with. A lot of the time people are misquoted, People in the media use flowery words, which may not be intentionally derogatory. And they're very busy. When you work for a newspaper or a magazine, you're under a lot immense pressure. So I feel like I'm doing them a favor by giving them a lot of information that they can just copy and paste. Amazing. <laughs> you know, so I think we also need to take charge of our image and what people, what the media, uh, you know, will say about us. You know, take charge in your... F- you don't don't let them download a photo of you offline that you don't like. Give them your your photo, give them your bio, give them the information that you want put out there. Control the narrative, you know, so that things are you know because it's I think it's one of the the problems that we one of the big complaints people being misdescribed. Or, for example, I don't want to be described as exotic. I'm not a snake, mm. or, you know, or a wild animal. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm not. I don't really like 
been, you know, I don't, I, I never put in any bio of mine or anything exotic food, you know, what's exotic about it? What is, there's nothing wrong with the word, but it's used in a way to almost describe things that are a little bit odd. Um, you know, so, <laughs> so I, I tend to delete stuff like that. I'm like, no, nothing exotic here. Just interesting. Vibrant is, is, is what I replace with exotic, <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, no, I'm very happy to, to have come on, 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 on your podcast. And especially because it's by a fellow African, I think we should tell our own stories and I'm very happy and fortunate to be able to tell mine with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Third Culture Africans, the Lifestyle Podcast. We would love to hear from you. So please find us on Facebook or Instagram at Third Culture Africans and leave us a comment. A review goes a long way in getting our show notice. So please leave us one if you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time. Oh, oh, oh.